you have your Bible, turn with me to Galatians chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. Galatians chapter 2. Uh, and as we, we turn there, um, football season has uh, officially started. Um, we're, we're cheering our teams regardless of the outcome. Amen? Yeah, the people that say amen, y'all won yesterday. I know how it is. It's fine. Listen, we're, we're really excited to be in this season. Our family is a sports-loving family. Uh, we love watching uh, football. Connor had his first soccer game yesterday, and I did not represent you well. The lady said, you know, I don't yell at my son when he's on the other side of the field because I don't think he can hear me. And I'm like, shh, shh, shh. run, run. You know, just I'm, I'm all in <laughs> a little bit. That's right, they know. And so in that, um, when I think about football, one of the things that you need to be able to do is if you're on offense, you need to be able to read the defense so that you need to know if you need to audible or change something or if your play is going to work out great or you notice something exposed. If you're on defense, you need to know how to read the offense, right? So that you can be in the right place at the right time or on the right, right people. And so today we're talking in Galatians chapter 2 about the question of whether we define the gospel or the defi gospel defines us. That's our, our question today as we're, we're looking into it and, and trying to read what the conversation is. In our country, I would tell you, this is probably one of the most important conversations going on in our country right now. Whether we define the gospel, we define scripture, or whether the gospel and the scripture defines us. Are they mutually exclusive? How does it work? And it made me think of this concept. I was sitting uh, next to a, a young lady. It was funny. Uh, on the way home last weekend, and I was talking to one of our pastors in Costa Rica, and the same concept came up. It's called upscaling. Have you heard of this concept of upscaling? It's, it's what you do when you take something that has served its purpose and is no longer meaningful in its current position, and you upscale it basically it's repurposing but trendy you know what i mean that's kind of how it works and i've got some pictures can we show some pictures on the screen i wanted you to have a couple of of images of what they are let's see the first one i think is an old jeep is that up there in my scripture it's going to be in the scripture note it'll be in the sermon notes on the computer is it not working maybe it's not working so it's in the sermon slides you should be able to see it right in there um, but anyway, so it may be like taking the front of an old Jeep and putting cushions and legs on it and making it into a couch. Isn't that interesting? It's like man decor right there. I saw one person cut the tops off of Sprite bottles. Cut the tops off. Don't point them at the screen. It won't be up on the screen, gentlemen, like that. So you cut the top of Sprite bottles off and you put them and you make coat hanging a place for you to hang your coats and stuff when you walk in the door you just cut the tops off and you mount them on it was really really neat another one I, I saw in the midst of that was a colander do you know what a colander is all the women are like yes guys are like no is that something to do with spaghetti right somewhere in there they said well when your colanders get there's the sprite bottles here's old oh that's hello um this <laughs> There's the cans that you see with that. So it's going to be a good day, amen? That's good. There's the Jeep. <laughs> Let's just kill the picture. So we are talking about Jesus today. 
But upscaling is using those old things and making them new. Those pictures were worthless until about 30 seconds ago. Now they're totally meaningful in a new way. It's, it's using something that's old and worn out and repurposing it into something that makes it better useful now instead of just making it trash. It's a really neat concept. I was talking with one of our pastors in Costa Rica and his friend's father is recycling plastic and making it into um, pellets and whatnot to strengthen concrete with and and they're going to be building homes out of this plastic concrete mixture so it can be upcycled it's repurposing something that no longer is useful in its current form and so when i think about that i started to look and read what was going on in our in our environment our community our country and i'm looking in in galatians and and i've noticed something in fact, I heard a, a, a young lady say this the other day, a day uh, on the news. Um, th- this idea that the Bible, that Scripture, needs to be upscaled. It, it, needs, it needs to have a fresh look, or it's not going to be current. Scripture is going to have to be redefined just a little bit, or people aren't going to go to church anymore. I've heard heard this happen. I heard a gentleman say, "Well, in Scripture it says God breathed life into them, and so until someone breathes, they're 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 not a person yet." And talking about when life begins, and and think, well, we don't upscale Scripture where it says, "I knew you in your mother's womb." Maybe it's amazing. We just we're seeing this upscaling of Scripture happening. And I just want to ask you today, I want to look in Galatians, and we're going to talk about whether we should be defining the gospel, upscaling it, or whether this gospel is meant to define us forever, if it ever needs upscaling. And again, super fan of upscaling in the right spot. But look with me in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. Here's what I want you to know. Upscaling of Scripture is not a new concept. It's not a new tactic. It's very common, and it makes sense in every generation that thinks it needs to happen. And that's what we're going to look at. Look at verse 6 through 9 of Galatians chapter 1. It says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now, I want you to pause there. You need to see this equation before we go any further. If you don't, if you don't catch anything else, if, this is, if you can only retain one point, get this one. Distorting the gospel makes it into a different gospel distorting the gospel makes it something different it's not well the gospel my size gospel your size it's all the same gospel as long as we we do those things right no distorting the gospel makes it different that's in scripture now let's keep going this is how important it is verse 8 but even if we, if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. We have said before, and I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be cursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Am I trying to please man? 
if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of God. You see, Paul lays it out for us, and as he did to the Galatian church, and he says, here's what it comes down to. When we try to distort the gospel or tweak the gospel or remove certain parts of the gospel and put other things in, when we try to define the gospel, our true motive is pleasing the men that we see and engage with. Which is, which is really easy, right? Have you ever been caught in that trap? Have you ever been pressured? The people around you are wanting you to go one direction, but you know there are other people who aren't there would much prefer you to walk in a different way or much prefer you to make a different decision, but they're not there. You don't feel their presence, and so you give in and you go along with, with the crowd that you can see. This is what Paul says. He says, listen, there are going to be people that want to turn you away from the truth of the gospel by their actions, by their inf they're gonna They're going to be coming at you. And if they come at you, I want you to know that's accursed. This is not just bad. It's not just troublesome. It's not just a little uneasy feeling. It's, it's accursed. Even if it was to be an angel. Even if it was to be an angel, it's accursed. I was reading in the Old Testament, I was talking about, listen, if people come and do signs and wonders and point you to another name than mine, God says, don't turn away with them because they're to test to see if you're authentically devoted to the truth or not. You see, we have to phrase this and understand that we are called not to upscale the gospel. It's not old and outdated. It's not just written by some, some group of men who just had some ideas about oppression and, and cultural dominance and those kinds of things. It's, that's not at all. The Bible says, our, our scripture memory verse this month, right? All scripture is God, what? Breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Scripture isn't just some time inspired writing it's the very breath of god given through his spirit through his ambassadors men inspired to share his word and so when we have the gospel and we find ourselves trying to upscale it we, we might need to re-understand what the gospel is the gospel if we go all the way back to the, the greek word is it's the good news the, the word at its root is the same root that shares with evangelism our action to spread the gospel it, it means the good news of the coming, of the life, of the work of Christ. It, it is the good news of Jesus. It's his story and what he did for us, what he's called us to. And in his story, that's the gospel. The gospel is not one piece of the story of Christ. I think we might get confused on that sometimes. The gospel is just not Jesus died on the cross. That is a part of the gospel, but the gospel is the, is the coming, the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ, and everything in the middle. That's the gospel. You see, and when we, when we forget that, we just think as long as we agree that he was born of a virgin, died on a cross, and rose again, that we're all basically on the same borderline foundation. What Paul says is, that's not how it works. It's either all of the gospel or a distorted gospel. And a distorted gospel is not the gospel. It's a different gospel that's meant to please men. Are you following me? So, so we need to be very mindful of that.
Now, how does this look? How, how does defining the gospel look differently than the gospel defining me? Look in your Bible, chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1. Let's go all the way down to verse 6. And we're just going to follow the story of Galatians and see examples of it. This is not an exhaustive list. This is just the story that God has told us. So we'll follow it just as it is. It says, Then, after 14 years, this is Paul writing, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. Taking Titus along with me, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed to the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing. I just want you to pause right in this moment because I want to show you the scene. Paul and Titus, they're taking the gospel to the Gentiles. This is a, a new thing. And, and there are people around them. Some are most likely Judaizers. Their, their role is, is that you can't be saved until you convert to Judaism, and then you can receive the gospel. That was their, their point. And, and maybe the, the largest act, or the most defining act in a Jewish man's life was an act of circumcision, showing that you had brought in and agreed that being brought into the covenant of Judaism was necessary for salvation in Christ Jesus. And then you have another group, which are the, some of the other disciples who are around there as well. And these are the ones that Paul says, listen, these influencers, they didn't add anything. They didn't agree with the Judaizers and they didn't chastise me. They, they, in this part of the scene, they, they didn't get in the fray, so to speak. But these Judaizers, they, they slip in. It says, it says they just found their way in secretly, false brothers to spy on our freedom. You see, there's something we need to be aware of how defining the gospel happens through these thin layers of, of thieves in the night. And the first way I think that Scripture shows us is it happens through empty influence. Redefining the gospel happens through empty influence. And we see Paul says defining the gospel happens and when it is preserved under that pressure. See, that's the difference, how the gospel reacts. Under one, the gospel is defined by empty influencers. In other words, these people that have come in and their idea is to make the movement of Christ Jesus relevant. You see, Christianity in the early days was not relevant in the Jewish culture. The Jewish leadership, they, they just believed that you had to convert to Judaism and sub submit yourself to all of that to be, be brought into the covenant people of God before you could be brought into the covenant family of God. It was this two-step, like a, like a dance a little bit. Well, whoa, we know that Scripture clearly doesn't show us that salvation is a two-step. It's the gospel. 
If anyone adds to it, chapter 1, verse 6 through 9, anyone adds to it, it's a different gospel. Either it's all about the story of Christ and us submitting to his word, to his direction, to his life, to believing in him, and that defines us, or it's a different gospel. And if we tie an act outside of the gospel to salvation, it's no longer the gospel that we're worshiping. It's no longer the story of Jesus if you change the story. You know, we only change the story of fictitious things. Do you realize that? Your story is your story. Now, don't get me wrong, dads. I've heard you tell the same story two or three times, and it gets more incredible every time. But, but the truth is, your story is, is a series of factual actions, of factual words. And, and someone later on can't say, you know what? I didn't like that Pastor David preached that sermon in an A&M polo. And so that day he really wore a, a UT polo. Now we all know that you're lying. But, but we don't rewrite those details. We don't rewrite those facts. Why? Because it's not real. It's not your story. If you want to come to church in a UT shirt, it's fine. You need Jesus too. It's okay. It's all right, but that's your story. It's not up to you to rewrite what's real and what's happened. So what these Judaizers are doing is they're saying, we know that Jesus saved people, but the only way to get saved is to be from God's people. That's not what Christ said. He says he brought you to be God's people. It said he came so that all the world would know. You see, the purpose that often sets into our mindsets and, and through these slippery people that walk into church and, and hold the Bible up is that we need to make the gospel palatable so that we can increase acceptance of it. The gospel needs to be palatable so we can increase the acceptance of it. I had a lady at our house come by the other day um, from Central America and and she was raised uh, in one religion. And she said, one day, uh, Jehovah's Witness came and knocked on her door. And they said, in the religion I was raised, we were taught the Bible, but never opened it and read it. And so these people showed me, they talk, asked me questions and showed me in their Bible, and then through conversation, what the truth was. And that started a conversation at my house. It, it's amazing when there is no truth, a distorted tree, truth does not stand out. So what must we be? We must be a people defined by the truth, living in the world who needs the truth in a way that they can receive the truth. Our job is not to make the truth palatable so we can make up ground on the evil intentions of slippery people who come in and try to distort the truth. Look at Judas. Judas believed that Jesus was supposed to be a certain kind of Messiah, didn't he? He was disappointed in Jesus. So what did he do? He gave him away. I've heard people say, well, he gave him away because he thought Jesus would rise up. That's why he went back and said, I'm sorry. 
I've heard people say he gave him away because he was, we, we don't know the whole truth, but here's what we do know. There was a point in time where Judas believed that Jesus was no longer his savior, no longer the, no longer the Messiah. And in that, whether it was by forcing his hand or by trying to save his own skin, what did he do to make the gospel palatable in his situation? He took an action. And where did that action lead? It led to death. You see, defining, the defining gospel is preserved through the truth. It's preserved under pressure. I mean, Paul says it this way. He says in verse 4, the, the false brothers who came in, who, who slipped in to spy on our freedom that we have in Christ, so that we might, they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. Why? So the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. You see, when the gospel is defining your life, you realize that you become more enthralled with preserving the gospel than becoming an influencer in your community. That, that's what happens. We start to realize it was the true gospel that brought life into me. And if it brought life into me while I was still a sinner, then it can breathe life into others while they are still sinners. So it's not about me being influential. It's not like about us having every seat filled in the church. It's not about us going down the street and, and, and putting up banners. It's, it's not about these things. It's not about buildings or shirts or shoes. It's about preserving the truth. Not simply in what we talk about on Sunday morning, but in how we live our life. You see, they weren't asking Paul to preach a different gospel. They were just act, asking him to act like a new section applied to him. In your life, do you find yourself allowing the gospel to be defining your life? And you know that because you're preserving it. You're seeking the truth. Or are you tempted maybe to allow these empty influencers to make you just give a little bit so that the gospel can be more palatable? Mm. The Bible doesn't stop there. If you look in your Bible, look with me at verse 11 through 14. We'll keep going on. We'll fill in the blanks as, as we can. The Bible says this, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back. He separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray in their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like a Jew? You see, here's the picture. Peter, these disciples came in, and, and the problem is for a Jew to eat with a Gentile was to make yourself unclean. It was to make yourself no longer available to be engaged in your social fear, spear for a few days. In many ways, they saw it as a sin. 
And so, so here's Peter ministering to the Gentiles, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. But when these Judaizers came in, these gospel-plus-minded people, when they came in, what happens? He just ditched himself a little bit. He just, he just pushed back just a little bit. All of a sudden, he started living like those rules applied to him. Affirming the Jewish customs over the grace of Christ. Church, when that happens, we're defining the gospel through acceptable hypocrisy. That, that's, what, that's what we do in those situational moments. We have acceptable hypocrisy. You understand, don't you? You know I have to do I'm, I'm so sorry, I'll talk to you later. It's when you see someone that you're really open with, but when others who see you, you don't want them to think that you affirm what they're doing. So we're to step away. It's this acceptable hypocrisy. Yet when the gospel is defining us, it emboldens us with the truth. You see, that's the difference. Peter's come in, and he has fallen prey to these sheep that have snuck their way in, these false brothers with this false gospel. That it said the gospel can only be shared in appropriate circumstances. If people look at you funny, don't share it. It's okay. It makes perfect sense. If, if those people aren't your people, if they voted on the wrong ticket, if they're the neighbor that never cuts their yard and everybody hates them anyway, as long as you minister in secret, it's okay. As long as you don't let anyone see you, Loving the unlovable, it's okay. Except that's what the idea is. The idea is that influence is guarded to allow for the gospel to stay fueled. This idea of sometimes you have to pull back in order to keep moving forward. You don't want to ruin your witness with everybody. You don't want to have to explain to them why you're reaching out. You, you don't want to go through all of that. It's just easier because if you lose your support you have no foundation mm. if too many of those people become your people you're not going to have a foundation to do the ministry you want to do mm. do you feel the sting of this acceptable hypocrisy church the, the whole idea would be like that of Aaron in the Old Testament Aaron is Moses' brother and Moses is up on the hill talking with God people are getting restless so they, they pull all their gold together, together. they form it into a, a calf they melt it form it into a calf and they try to start worshiping God through the calf. When, when Moses comes down, what does Aaron say? Oh, I don't know what happened. We just threw the gold in the fire and poof, here came this cow. That never works, right? Did you ever walk into the house and find food exploded all over the kitchen and ask your husband, what happened? I have no idea, honey. When no one else is home, it's weird. Someone broke in. Just exploded. 
No, no, no. We, we know it's not the truth. But this acceptable hypocrisy. This is the woman caught into adultery. Jesus says, you know, you've, the man you're married with, or you're, you've, you've, you've had these husbands. And she's like, no, I don't have a husband right now. No, the man you're staying with right now, he's not even your husband. She's like, well, if I can just find a loophole to fit through, I can take away your foundation. The disciples come in, they're, they're talking with Jesus at, at the woman at the well, the same woman, and said, oh, what are you, you're talking to a woman? You can't do that. Church, acceptable hypocrisy says, for the power and the purpose and the ends of the gospel, gospel reaching who it needs to reach, it justifies you and I not using all of it or not subjecting ourselves to all of it all the time. The ends justify the means. Or as, man, so many people love to say, and friends of mine, it's easier to ask forgiveness than what? Permission. That's not what the gospel says. The gospel says when it defines us, it emboldens us with the truth. Paul said, when this happened to, to Cephas, to Peter, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. It's hypocrisy. He says, if you, a Jew, can't live like a Jew without doing it wrong, how would you expect a Gentile to live like a Jew correctly? If you have all of this, if you can't do it, and you know the law was not given for salvation, if you know the law was to reveal our sinfulness, that in our own strength we cannot keep it, if you know that, why in the world would you make someone feel like the gospel is a two-step? Church, you and I need to be emboldened with the truth in a way that people can see the truth defines you and I. Let me tell you, God doesn't need your brilliance or my brilliance. Do you realize that? God doesn't need our wittiness. God doesn't need our, he doesn't even need my pictures. The Lord is God. He is the communicator. He just needs you and me to be available. Because if you add anything in, be careful. So we need to be mindful that acceptable hypocrisy is when we know that the gospel is being repurposed, redefined by us or others. But when we're emboldened by the truth in those hypocritical moments, that's when the gospel is defining us. Because it's too important for anyone to walk away thinking that a false gospel leads to salvation. The Bible goes a little bit further and it says this. Go down to verse oh, 17 of chapter 2. As the conversation continues and, and Paul's going through this, he says this in verse 17 through 19 or through 20. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to sin, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In this life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And he gave himself for me. 
Paul takes it a step further. He doesn't wait for another event to happen. Did you, do you see this story? First, it's the wolf in sheep's clothing trying to impress upon them. And he says, no way, I'll preserve the truth under pressure. And then it's other brothers in Christ just giving in to this acceptable hypocrisy. And he says, no way, I, I, the gospel emboldens me. It doesn't make me give in. And then he says, before something else happens, let me make this very, very clear. If we endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners. Is Christ a servant to sin? Certainly not. Verse 18, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove to be a sinner. You see, when we read, redefine or repurpose or upcycle the gospel, here's what happens. It becomes repurposed wrongs. That's what we know when, when we're redefining the gospel, we find ourselves repurposing our wrongs. What scripture shows us is when the gospel defines us, it gives us freedom under the control of Christ. Now, this is really, really important because Paul takes it a step further. Because there are some people, and he knows they're listening and inspired by the Holy Spirit, who want to redefine freedom as self-governance. So that Christ tore down the consequences of sin so that you and I could rebuild without fear of consequence in his full approval. We might call it a privatized individualistic gospel that says I can do what I want to do because Jesus died for me. If that's your attitude, you have clinged to the wrong gospel. It's not, that, it's not that you and I aren't forgiven in all of our sins, but if your whole life is spent delighting in rebuilding what Christ tore down, what he died to tore down, then you have been deceived. You have not clung to the true gospel because the true gospel changes us and lets us know that it is not about repurposing wrongs on the other side of the cross because we are free in our individualistic mindset with this doctrinal license to do whatever we want or believe whatever we want and embrace whatever we want. We were freed by the gospel to be free under the control of Christ. Paul would say, for the love of Christ compels me or controls me. He calls himself a bondservant, the deepest type of slave to God. You see, what the little slippery false brother would want us to know in a repurposed wrong is this. As long as we love God, that we are free to embrace anything that makes us feel closer to him. That's not at all what scripture says. In fact, there's nowhere in scripture that says that you can go back to the old testament when god was saying devote these things to destruction these things that that are going to tempt you when you go into the promised land after the walls of jericho fall an easy target the town of ai coming up down the road joshua doesn't even seek the lord he knows we've got this the problem is a man in his camp didn't devote all the treasures to destruction and he, he kept a little bit for himself because he was part of God's people. Guess what happens? 
Not only do the people of God lose the war, but God points out the man and his family and they're all destroyed. Why? Because we are free under the control, under the command, under the grace of Christ from these wrongdoings, not to repurpose them in our newfound freedom. We have been set free to live in life in the gospel. A man named Simon in the book of Acts came to the disciples and they were healing people and demons were going out. And he said, I want some of that. He had already been baptized. And he said, how do I get what you've got? Can I pay you for it? And the disciples say, man, it's a bad day to be you. You have no idea what you're talking about. The Lord is rejecting you. He says, pray those things don't happen to me. Well, how do we know a gospel is false and we're redefining it? Because you and I allow our wrongs to be repurposed and to be a part of who we are. When we die, we find fullness in life in Christ Jesus. All of our joy, all of our freedom is experienced in him. Church, this is really important. Because I really believe, just like the people in Acts slipped in, that, that, that some wrong thinking has slipped into our life as well. Some, some wrong thinking has slipped into our culture and our churches too. Into thinking that the, the, the gospel needs to be upcycled. That it's not as relevant. If the churches want to stay fruitful, then they just need to give a little bit or ignore a little bit or redefine there's some acceptable hypocrisy. We'll help you explain it away. It's not a problem. Because you want to have influence, don't you? You see all these other people, they have influence. Don't you want influence? Just, just put the pressure on. In fact, the enemy will even tell you there's freedom. The freedom of Christ says love wins. Everybody wins. So you just do it your way. And if God is love, you're going to be okay. That is not what Scripture says. What Scripture says is, is the gospel is not your story to choose what is believable or not. To choose what applies or not. The gospel says this is the story of Christ. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. That belief in was to build your house upon all your eggs in one basket. If you're the only person in the room or if you're in the room of 10 million, all your eggs in one basket. If everybody leaves you, I was thinking about this yesterday, I was on the stage and I just praying for today. And I thought, you know what's, Interesting, And this is what made me think about it. I'll take you to the long story. One of the people I sat next to on a plane coming home from our trip was a very nice, kind young lady. And she passionately believed a distorted gospel. Passionately. And it's breaking my heart. I don't know, I'm trying to point her to, to, to different scriptures and she's affirming those scriptures and just adding to it. My heart's breaking, and I'm, I'm thinking, you know what? In Scripture it says, you, you must love me more. You must love me so greatly 
that if it's between you and your, me and your mom, you'll pick me and you'll hate her. Between me and your dad, me and your brother, you and your sister, me and your child, if it's between me and anybody, I win. That's really easy until I start picturing my mom or my sister or my child. Changes the game when it's personal. You and I cannot stand, live, grow, or lead in your life in any relationship. You can't bring salvation, healing, or hope with a distorted gospel. As bad as it hurts, you and I must cling to the only thing that gives life. Because if you love those people around you, then you'll love God all the more. In the way that he defines you. Church, if your nonprofit status goes away, if your door is shut and the bank owns your building and turns it into a carnival, hold to the gospel. If all of your friends desert you and, and they call you or they demean you or they redefine the truth and they abandon you, hold to the gospel. When all of the disciples started walking away from Jesus, when he said, this is my flesh. His 12 were there, and he said, will you go too? They said, where would we go? You're the only one with the keys to life. Where would we go? That's the gospel. How sweet it is that you and I have been set free from the lies and you don't have to return to a distorted truth. Jesus died and was able to overcome. That's the gospel. So that you and I could be made holy through him and in him. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says this about you. If you receive the gospel. I'm going to change the word I to you. You have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. And the life you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. You are never alone. You are not walking alone. You are not walking in your own strength. This is the gospel. You are new. God didn't upcycle you. He made you new. Father God, Lord, we love you this morning. Lord, I, I, it's, it's hard, and, and I'm not telling you anything new. It, it's, it's difficult ground we have in the gospel. The word Christian seems like it's been redefined and added to so many times. Lord, it doesn't even mean the same thing to everybody. So Lord, instead, let us just be people of the book. Let us be people of the gospel. For Lord Jesus, in that is life and new life. So embolden us with the truth when influencers tempt us. Help us preserve the truth, God. Lord, when we are tempted to this acceptable hypocrisy. Lord Jesus, let us realize that freedom is our freedom from 
death and freedom for life with you, in you, abiding in you. Not some individualized, privatized license to rewrite your story. Father God, if there are any in this room today that do not know the gospel of Christ Jesus, or maybe as they've been reading your word, God, you've been revealing yourself to them. God, would you speak up? Would you show up in their life today? Would you allow them to confess their sin before you and abandon that, desire to abandon that, Father God, so that may proclaim you as the Messiah, their Savior and their Master, their Lord, who they give their life in full obedience to, God. That's the beginning of our walking with you through the gospel. So, Lord, if there's anyone in this room today that does not have it, Lord, would you speak to their hearts? Lord, for your people in this room who live by faith in the Son of God, in this new life, Lord, would you let us be people who are defined by the gospel and not redefiners of it. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen.